0: really hot. Um, oh, okay. So I think Paul's been moderating in on. his own
1: voice. So, uh, so I need to so sing closer. It needs to be closer. I mean, it's really low. He no,
0: well, or just sing out, Paul. I, I, I pulled you I mean, you it's up, a little far so from me. Raise you it up. And then and then so loud. I can also pull you up some more as well, so that, that works. Yeah. <laughs>
1: My kids were that age, it seems like, just yesterday, and we're about to send them off to college. And
2: so it is. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. Open our hearts and our minds to hear it, to understand it, and to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And today's scripture is from... Uh, Genesis 6, beginning in verse 5, and then selected verses. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind, whom I have created, from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God.
3: Amen. Hi, everybody. Just your average Christian uh, or Christmas Uh, passage, you know. (laughs) Um, It's nice to see you. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad that this still works because I was absorbed in worship and realized that Simone, our six-month-old, had transitioned from my badge in her mouth to this, and so I'm glad that it still works. I'm going to start off with a story. Now, growing up, I had a neighbor. His sole aspiration in life was to achieve and maintain a perfect lawn. So I thought as a 10-year-old. I was friends with their son, and we would always play soccer in their backyard until they decided they wanted to live um, as if in the middle of a perfectly manicured golf course, even if it only stretched out a quarter of an acre. Over the next year, they removed the top layer of grass, a whole bunch of rocks, They installed underground sprinklers, put down weed barrier, brought in new soil of three different varieties. They added loam and grass seed. It was a whole lot of work. And I remember as kids on the street, our latest thing had become uh, street hockey, uh, admittedly, in front of my friend's house. I'll never forget the day our ball landed right in their yard and I got caught retrieving it. Uh, Let's show the slide. That's, That's me. Before the third step onto their lawn, as if the ball had tripped some alarm in their house, with arms flailing, my friend's dad says, stop, 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 the path, the path, the path, use the path. I took one big jump back into the street. Um, The urgency felt somewhere between like the game of floor is lava and like there might actually be a landmine on, on this person's yard. So I proceeded up the walkway, and I promise you, he removed his belt and used his belt to try to lasso the ball from the yard. And failing that, he brought out a brand new lacrosse ball from inside the house and indirectly suggested we might have more fun down the street where it's a little bit more flat in front of my house. Um, I assume that this guy had to call, um, you know, one of his guys to come retrieve the ball since it was there a couple days just on the yard. Uh, yard. Um, it's the most stressful floors lava game I've ever played. <laughs> now he wanted to keep the perfect lawn, but lawns are hard to keep. Perfect. Clovers were a prominent but unwelcome species in our neighborhood, and they always make, made their way back onto his lawn year after year. If I had an iPhone as a kid, I think I would have at least three snaps of him in a bathrobe on his knees plucking clovers from his front yard. I think that he took out his phone to call like, his lawyer or his gardener. I, I was 10. I don't know who he, who he talked to about things like this. And I remember him saying it, like very loudly, No, this is unacceptable. I thought you were handling this. Another year, I remember squares of of grass removed and later replaced like a month later. Um, He even probed me once, asking if I knew where they sold clover seed, as if he could pry something like that out of me. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to say that wild clovers are evil, maybe only a metaphor for it, but I'm not so convinced he didn't think so. Literally evil. So let me pause there in the story. Next slide. We promised you an Advent series that was back to basics. Um, Something practical. Something you could invite your neighbors to hear, even. And now you're thinking, Noah and the Ark, is that the best you could do? Back to the basics. More like back to the drawing board. When we think about Christmas, Noah might not be the first story that comes to your head. Um, Except maybe the the ark has animals, the manger has animals. Um, What sort of novel connection are you seeing here? Um, Maybe we primarily think of the story of Noah as a story of what Noah did. But maybe you caught this as we were reading through this. Our passage today centers entirely on what God saw, what God felt and what God did about it, right? The eyes of God, the heart of God, and the hands of God. Actually, we don't know very much about what other people did based on just the parameters of our text today. This story tells us something very humbling about ourselves, what it is to be a human in relationship with God. And it's a preamble to the Christmas story. Um, it is chapter 1. Um, And as I draw our attention back to the text, there are two stories at play. A story of judgment and a story of covenant. We're going to start with the story of judgment. Next slide. Um, Four words are used to describe how God saw humanity prior to the flood. Verse 5 describes this first thing the Lord saw. And I'll invite you to keep your Bibles open and and poke poke around with me. So verse 5 the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. Right, Wickedness. It's a word in scripture that is used to describe a variety of things. Um, disaster, crime, wrongdoing. It's especially used throughout the Old Testament to describe uh, pagan worship. People entering into uh, foreign houses of worship. Burning incense in temples of gods to surrounding cultures. Um, it describes humanity without... an an ethical center, right? Living by the norms of the day. And the norms of this day were not great, except they were great in their wrongdoing. That's, That's how they were great. Verse five continues. So the Lord saw, the second half of that sentence, that every inclination of the thoughts of his, that is humanity's heart, was only evil all the time. Evil is a word with a range of meanings, um, from sad to unkind to hostile to poisonous. Scripture is often um, purposefully dichotomous, right? Talking about light and darkness, good and bad, right and wrong. And this word seems to be dichotomous. It's opposed to anything that serves to bless God, serves to reflect God. That's on the one side, and and evil seems to be this word on the other side. Um, It was the human heart that God saw. And he saw that it was only evil all the time. Now, from a Reformed perspective, we talk about total depravity. And this phrase means that without God, we can't want God. Right? Without God, we won't choose to seek God. Without God, we will not uh, choose God. Right? God has to choose us first, to seek us first. It means grace is a necessary piece of this equation because of the state of our hearts. Now, verses 11 and 12, they describe the third thing the Lord saw. Oh, that's chapter 7. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. I'm going to skip that. We'll go down to the end of verse 12. For all the people had corrupted their ways. All right, corrupt. It's a word in Hebrew that has to do with destruction. It's the same word for destroyed. And this word is repeated 3 times in these two verses. The earth was corrupt because it says at the end of verse 12 that all the people had corrupted themselves. The earth was destroyed because all the people were bent on self-destruction. Is another way you could say that. The fourth thing that the Lord saw is on the second half of that verse 11. The earth was, and we'll skip to the the was, full of violence. That word in Hebrew very much means the same as our word in English for violence, with overtones of destructiveness and harm. You know, things in Noah's time had gotten bad. God saw four things when he looked at humanity. He saw wickedness. He saw evil. He saw corruption, and he saw violence. He saw a corrupting poison that had taken over people's hearts and minds that was filling the earth with lawlessness and violence. God said that when he looked out, what he saw in the world was a course of self-destruction. When God saw these four characteristics of humanity prior to the flood, we read that he felt two things. Right? So we, these are the eyes of God, and now we hear words about the heart of God. The first thing we read that the Lord felt is in verse 6. The Lord was grieved that he had made man, humanity, on the earth. And it's reiterated at the end of verse 7, right? For I am grieved that I have made them. Now, this word grieve, um, regret, it means to console oneself, to, to comfort oneself in the context of loss, Right? It's, it's because of what humans had become, God was grieving. God's eyes were raw, as if at a funeral. The second thing that God felt, we read that midway through verse 6, his heart was filled with pain. I don't know if you've ever thought about the feelings of God, the experience of God, but we see raw eyes, and heartache, pain. When God saw the the human heart and the state of the world, I mean, his own heart, it it seemed to tighten, like a raisin drying in the sun. You know that feeling. Very much as a response to what God saw and what God felt, God took action, and and this is the way verse 7 begins. The Lord said, I will wipe Mankind, humankind, from whom I've created, from the face of the earth. The ber- the verse goes on, and verse thirteen begins the same way, right? So God said to Noah, "I'm going to put an end to all people." Verse seventeen describes how God's going to accomplish it. I'm going to bring floodwaters to on the earth to destroy it. I mean, the the at least especially the first two verses, right? There's there it begins with that word so right? It's a direct response to what God saw and what God felt. God took action on the wickedness, evil, the corruption, and the violence, which was grieving him. That regret, that heartache, he acted with an all-encompassing judgment. Far-reaching was this judgment. Now, before we move on, I wonder what you hear... um, about God in this story, what this makes you think about God, the character of God, the nature of God. I mean, afraid, maybe? I mean, God is powerful. But what else? I mean, I I often wondered as a teenager um, about the harshness of God. Like, was this really necessary, God? Um, I, I have looked back on my journals from when I was in middle and high school, Um, which pondered upon questions like, is God an angry God? Is God mean-spirited? Is God waiting to trip you up after you make a mistake? Uh, Is God, like Santa Claus, going to add you to the naughty list, give you coal for Christmas? Is God waiting to to catch you in a lie or an act of greed or selfishness? Is God going to roll his eyes and say, why do I bother with you at all? Do I have to live at all times with this this consciousness kind of in the back of my mind that I'm a sinner in the hands of an angry God? A lot of times in Scripture, we... Fill in the blanks. We we can only assume God's inner process because we aren't given details in terms of what God is thinking or feeling. Right? Where well, the Bible describes the process of creation, but it doesn't tell us that God had thoughts or emotions during this process, except at the very end. Right? Um, God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, um, and and we don't necessarily hear, especially in the moments leading up to God stopping Abraham. Um, God's thought process around carrying out that task. We, we just came through a big uh, sermon series on the character of Moses. God does a number of huge things in, in the life of the Israelites, parting the Red Sea, sending plagues on the, uh, the, um, on the Egyptians, but there, there aren't details about that inner reasoning or emotional state during these events. Um, we see action, and we imagine uh, God's motivation. Well, our passage this morning helps us to see through these questions, and it shows us the very heart of God. In this instance, the flood, maybe we want to assume that God was doing it, but God was judging, and and he was excited. He was licking his lips in the process. Maybe we imagine that God was a, a biased judge who was proceeding over the trial of, of the person who had invaded his own home, right? Overreaching beyond pre- precedent, to make an example. We hear stories in the news of people in power that 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 are cruel and untrustworthy, right, who act out of self-interest. We can't help but misread divine judgment sometimes. Um, we can't... Um, yeah, I, I, I think when I read over my journals as a as a middle schooler, sometimes I had that thought of, why can't God just let us be, right? Why does God get involved at all? Um, you know, and... and also that impression that maybe God is like, you know, that driver who gets cut off and just feels satisfied with himself when he sees that car pulled over by, by a, a cop later on down the road. It's like, sweet poetic justice, ha. You thought you'd get the last word, but I'm God, ha. Put up with this too long. It's now time to avenge my patience with destruction. You know, in this instance, God, sh- the, the, the text, I mean, God through the text shows us his inner world, the, the world that is actually filled with heartache, right? A, a world filled with pain. Um, in the book, Old Yeller, I mean, Travis is a young boy. He, he's faced with an agonizing decision um, to end the suffering of his beloved dog, who's contracted rabies. Um, in the end, Travis acted to prevent further pain, a choice that was made out of deep love and responsibilities, and I, I would argue that in this instance, God's actions stem from that desire for our, for humanity's ultimate good and the resolution of a broken world. That famous scene in Old Yeller, um, I think that mirrors the heart of God, right? Making a difficult t- decision, not out of anger and retribution, but out of a place of profound love and longing for healing. I think when we resist the temptation to project our own experiences onto God, but rather let the story and, and God communicate his own story. We see that judgment wasn't about revenge. It wasn't about getting his comeuppance, um, take, getting, getting back at the humanity who had gone far from him. This act of judgment is full of heartache and profound loss. Right? A person once said that God's tears are the meaning of history. God's tears are the meaning of history Um, because when God looks out at the world, he knows that things aren't as they're meant to be, right? Wickedness was not meant to describe the human race. People aren't meant to only be evil all the time. The earth was not meant to be corrupt, but it was because as it says at the end of verse 12, all the people had corrupted themselves. God's judgment was such that he was going to destroy the self-destroyed. And so God's judgment was such that everything on earth will perish. There's more to the story. Let's go to the next slide. Not everything or everybody on earth did perish. Alongside this story of judgment is a story of God saving a remnant and rebuilding from that remnant. God didn't only see four things in this passage. There's a fifth thing that God saw, and that was Noah, who found favor in God's eyes. Let's read this in verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God saw a fifth thing. Um, Genesis 6-9 describes Noah as a righteous man, a blame- blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. God saw Noah as distinct from the corrupt people around him, the society. This passage doesn't explicitly tell us what God felt, but that phrase, found favor, suggests that God viewed Noah with approval. Um, elsewhere in Scripture, God expresses a profound love for his chosen people. Um, I mean, hear these words in Jeremiah 31. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Right? Love. God, ha- God operates out of a profound love for his chosen people. Um, beyond our passage this morning, the entire narrative demonstrates a deep level of trust um, in the direction of Noah to God, right? In building an ark and in, in obeying in that way. Um, and God responds... Um, and God, God, God acts, let me say. So God, we know a little bit about what God saw. He saw Noah. We know a little bit about how God felt, and the way God acts in this is by promising in verse 18, I will establish my covenant with you. This covenant, and I, and, and I should say that, that after the flood, God does cut a covenant with, with Noah. This, is, this covenant is marked by a rainbow. This is a sign that God will never do, destroy the earth with a flood again. Um, now, now before, before we move on from these two stories, these two different images we have of God's response, I don't want to be too hasty. As soon as we talk about God giving special treatment to Noah on the basis of what appears to be good behavior, moral action, obedience, I think we need to be careful about what we might be implying theologically. The problem is that despite some of the dichotomous language used in Scripture, and even in this passage, theologically we know that self-righteousness is futile. Right? We cannot be good enough to earn God's favor just on our actions alone. We don't deserve to be born. We don't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve to receive eternal life. And the people in Noah's day, on the other hand, were not all bad. They weren't, that that wasn't the only thing that characterized them. They had the image of God, right? In this light, God's favor shouldn't be viewed as, as a reward for his righteousness, but it's a testament to God's grace. Choosing to save and work through a flawed human being in a fallen world. God acted through covenant in selecting a remnant and in providing hope for a better future. Um, So let's go to the next slide. Okay, if you're still trying to make the connection between our passage today and the Christmas season, let me say that this passage tells two stories, though they are really only one story. In the Bible, there is no salvation except salvation through judgment. There is no other salvation except salvation through judgment. In verse 13, God said this to Noah. I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. This is judgment. Um, But what follows in 18 through 21 is really the saving of humanity and the saving of the earth, the things destroyed, albeit temporarily. Um, God's judgment um, expedites humanity's own self destruction in this case. And God's intervention rebuilds humanity. Um, it's a restart in some ways. Um, salvation through judgment, not in spite of it. So, this is a pattern uh, throughout scripture. In some way, it's a template, right? God's judgment um, and salvation go together. It's like uh, refining gold in fire, right? As gold's purified and made valuable through intense heat, it's like a sculptor chipping away at a stone made of, of, of marble. Each strike of the chisel, um, though arguably destructive, is actually part of the, the sculptor's plan. It's like the gardener who prunes vines, cutting away the dead and overgrown branches. It's like a ship that skillfully navigates the sea to reach harbor by casting furniture overboard. Um, in each of these examples, what's hoped for, pure gold, a marble sculpture, a healthy garden, a, a safe voyage, is impossible without removing the dross, without chipping away the stone, without cutting overgrowth, without prioritizing life over the possession of things. We'll never arrive at the birth of Jesus without seeing the aftermath of the flood story. Otherwise, we would just have this unbridled optimism that clovers will never grow again on our lawns. Even though we have a new beginning, through the family of Noah, we have the same troubles growing up around us Despite the fact that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord in verse 8, despite the fact that Noah was a righteous man, as we read in verse 9, despite the fact that Noah was blameless among the people of his time, as we continue to read, despite the fact that Noah walked faithfully with God, because Noah went onto the ark, so did sin enter into the new world. We get a glimpse of this, and even if it's only a glimpse in the story of what happens after Noah reaches dry ground as he becomes drunk on the wine of his own hands. This, in, this incident um, leading to the, the shameful self-exposure and cursing his grandson, Canaan. When we look out into the world today, we see the very things um, that God saw when he saw the world in Noah's day. Wickedness, evil, corruption, violence. I mean, the presence of sin on the ark symbolizes incomplete salvation, and it points to the need for a greater salvation. A rainbow, um, in this sense, is is a symbol of the hope we have that God is committed to doing it. God's going to do it. Here's what one commentator commentator writes about this passage. Um, The whole act of judgment in the flood was partial. The survivors passed through a mere token of judgment only to carry into the new world the sin of the old, as if to demonstrate that nothing less than complete death and rebirth will meet our situation. I am sure that God's purpose was not to eradicate sin once and for all by bringing on this flood. Because the net effect of the flood was like my neighbor who overhauled his lawn to eradicate clovers all the while, clovers still exist, above and under fences, never able to get to the root of the plant. Clover is hard to get rid of. It has a resilient horizontal root system that stretches under fences, between yards. Um, new plants can, can be born not just by bees and other things that carry seed, but actually through the, the, the buds that these roots uh, these roots connect with. Um, has rap- more rapid growth than grass. It's able to survive in even very poor uh, soil conditions. It grows lower than grass and so it evades the mower. It spreads quickly through both seeds and, and removing it is very challenging. Um, it's the spread by the help of pollinating bees attracted to nectar and pollen. I mean, in this metaphor, Noah is like a bee that brought the, the seed of the clover from the old world to the new. And so the clover returned. Um, I remember some time after my neighbor sold his house, new tenants moved in who were a bit more cavalier in their, um, in their lawn maintenance. The new homeowners made little effort to stop the growth. And ironically, this yard looks like all the rest now, right? And so we enter the season of the advent. Merry Christmas. <laughs> a season of waiting and expectation for the action of God um, to complete what he started. God promised that the world would never again be consumed with water, Um, the the yard would never again be completely reseeded. The world needs a better solution, Um, greater than the politics of, of Calvin's Geneva, than the Spanish Inquisition, than the Prohibition, than the American Moral Majority Movement, and so we celebrate the coming of a paradox, the coming of and the promise of an even greater storm and an even greater ark and one born to die for our sakes, one who would live without sin and let us take his place on the ark, the one that he made himself to be a remnant Into a new world, um, a remnant that's made perfect through union with Himself. Salvation through judgment, not in spite of it. Contained in Scripture is a gospel story, a story of good news, and it's impossible to talk about the birth of Christ without building it upon this wider story, of which this is chapter one. God's tears are the meaning of history because God bound Himself up with humanity. He has deep pain. God decided to weep, to have pain, to be vulnerable to enter into this story. Otherwise, we would be on a path of our own self-destruction. Jesus is the one God promised, the one announced. Um, Jesus is the one fulfilled through the rainbow. Jesus is the king who will heal all our divides and bring peace. Now, if you're here and you're not sure about this whole God thing, this is very much for you. If God's judgment can come down on the earth, the whole earth, on all people, even people who don't acknowledge him as God, this shows that God is interested in you because he made you. He cares about you because you're subject to his judgment and because through him there's a way to life, not in spite of judgment, but through it and because of it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for chapter one, um, where we see our need, um, where we begin to have hope because we realize that you have committed yourself to us, to the journey, uh, to the end, um, and you have forever bound yourself up with us to those who, who call on your name, who trust in you, um, I pray if there are people among us that are unsure um, what they believe, I, I pray that, that you would um, move in them and, and reveal yourself to them. Reveal your need, the, their need for you. Um, and we do thank you for Christ. We thank you um, that he came on this first Advent, and we look forward to the second Advent in hope. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Please stand as you're able, and we're going to sing a song of response together.